And tonight we're going to focus on something that we always do, at least since I've been pastor, we always do, right? At this time of year, on this particular Sunday. And that is we're going to emphasize, just briefly in the, in the message tonight, uh, some, some, um, some giving opportunities that we have as a church family. And, uh, and so I, I hope that you'll keep an open heart and uh, an open mind as you, uh, as you go throughout uh, this, uh, this evening together. And certainly pray for me as I uh, try to uh, share these things with our church family. I uh, did want to let you know that we began this morning um, the, uh, there's some folks in our church that have made it uh, a, a sort of a mission to raise some money for Brother Ron uh, Jackson there in, uh, in, in Eastern Europe. Uh, and of course, he is um, uh, traveling back and forth, uh, going into uh, Ukraine and trying to take uh, some things that would be helpful to the soldiers that are there. And then also while he's out of the country ministering to the refugees. And so we want you to be aware of that. I did want to also share with you um, that uh, James and Amber Pranger are on their, on their way home at this point in time. Uh, it was a real headache for them getting out of Russia. We talked about that on last Sunday night. And uh, tonight, as it stands, they're in the country of East Estonia. And uh, tomorrow, they'll be boarding a plane and making their way here. I'm given to understand, I think it was yesterday, it was the day before, that the U.S. Embassy pretty much instructed U.S. citizens to, to, to get out of Russia. And uh, they had already had all of that in the works. And uh, they, by the time they get here, they will have probably been, been on the road or in the air almost a week's worth of time. Uh, they flew from Magadan to a town called Vladivostok, and there they were supposed to fly into South Korea, and then from South Korea to San Francisco and home. When they got to Vladivostok, they were told, you are not getting on this airplane. South Korea will not let anyone come from Russia unless they're a diplomat or unless they have residency in South Korea. And so at that point, they had to figure out, now what do we do? And so they flew, and think of how big Russia is, they flew from Vladivostok to Moscow, a nine-and-a-half-hour flight, spent the night in Moscow, and then flew to St. Petersburg, and then they hopped on a bus and traveled six hours across the border into Estonia, where they sat for four hours trying to get entrance into Estonia. It has been, and you imagine doing all of that with four young children. By the time they get home, they're going to need, they're going to need, uh, they're going to need a break, and uh, certainly our prayers and our encouragement. So I, I don't know the exact time they're supposed to arrive. I believe probably sometime tomorrow, uh, but I want you to be praying for James and Amber as they make their trip back, back here. I have been in touch with Brother Gary Lucas, and uh, at this point in time, he believes the Lord is leading him to stay where he's at and a little bit of a different circumstance. He does not have a wife. He does not have children with him uh, there in uh, Novosibirsk, and so appreciate your prayers for Brother Gary and really for all of our missionaries around the foreign field. Uh, we have, of course, the Prangers there in, in, in Hungary, and then the Vickermans are not far uh, there uh, from, from all of that in, in Slovenia. And uh, they, both of them at this point in time, it seems like they're out of harm's way, but as we, uh, as we, we, we know, these, these things can, can change in a hurry. So we certainly you know, covet your prayers for these folks and uh, that, that the Lord would watch over them and uh, protect them. Well, we're in Ephesians chapter number five tonight. I'm just gonna take one, one verse. I just wanna be very transparent with you tonight and maybe be just a little bit personal with you here tonight in this, in this service, and I hope that's okay. Uh, but I believe the Lord's led us in, in this direction. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter number five and verse number 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. We have, we have referred to this, this offering that we've given over the last three years as the I Love My Church offering. And tonight, with God's help, I'd like to preach to you a message I've entitled, I Love My Church. Father, would you meet with us here tonight, and would you stir in us, Lord, as we talk about this passage and some other things that 
Uh, Lord, uh, we have uh, to share and some, some burdens on our heart that we want to pass along to our people. And we just pray, Lord, that you would again meet with us in a very special way this evening. Lord, I'm assuming that everyone that is here tonight loves the Cleveland Baptist Church. We're living in a day and age in which the Sunday night service in many places has been devalued. In some places, it's been done away with altogether. And so the presence of these precious people here tonight would indicate that they love their church and they love what goes on here and that they want to support it. Uh, Lord, certainly with their faithfulness and with their attendance, many of these people serving in different capacities and certainly many of them giving regularly to make sure that we can keep these doors open and do what you've called us to do. And so, Lord, we're united in that particular concept. And I pray, Lord, that you would just strengthen our love for this church and what you've given us in this place. May we not take it for granted, but we, may we be eternally grateful for what you've provided for us here in this community. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would again meet with us here tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we think of Ephesians chapter number five, of course, we see that Paul weaves together really two unique concepts using, using one to sort of illustrate the other. Uh, he uses the one that is an earthly concept, which is marriage or the relationship between a husband and a wife, and he uses that to illustrate the other concept that he's talking about, which is the heavenly or the spiritual union between Christ and his church. And you will find as you work your way through Ephesians chapter number five that he is, is just constantly referencing the two and he's just really shifting back and forth between the two so that in sometimes in a single verse he's talking about both at the same time. And again, he's using one to illustrate or describe the other. We see evidence of that in our text, don't we? He said in verse number 25, husbands, love your wives. That's the earthly relationship. That's the physical relationship. But notice he pivots at the end of the verse. He said, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. There is the heavenly or the spiritual relationship that is being referenced in our text. So Paul compares, again, the relationship a husband has with his wife to the relationship Christ has with his church. And isn't it presumed, it is presumed that the marriage relationship, that it be one of love and respect if it is to be a relationship that is to thrive and be healthy. So in other words, if you have a marriage relationship and there's no love there and there's no respect there, well, you're looking at a pretty miserable way to live here on this earth. The same thing is true spiritually. If you have a, if you have a Christ and church relationship, we know Christ is always going to love the church and he's always going to put the church first. But if you have a church that in turn does not love Christ and does not fear Christ and does not reverence Christ, then you're going to find a dead church, a place that most Christians who have the spirit of God living inside of them would not want to spend a considerable amount of time. So, so we see here that there's a, there's a connection between the two. Now Paul his writing in this letter is specifically written to a, a local church. It's the church uh, filled with believers in this town called Ephesus. Paul's connection to this church was a very intimate one. Paul had spent a year and a half in Corinth before, before arriving at Ephesus. We learn of his arrival in Ephesus in Acts chapter number 18, verses 18 to 20. 
But on, his, on his, his trip into Ephesus for the very first time, we don't know exactly how long he was there, but the text indicates he wasn't there very long. He was bound and determined to go to a, uh, to go to a feast in Jerusalem. He was on his way back, and he just stopped in Ephesus for a brief period of time. In, in fact, the, the Bible says in Acts 18.21, but bade them farewell, speaking of those in Ephesus, saying, I must by all means keep this feast that cometh in Jerusalem, but I will return again unto you if God will. And he sailed from Ephesus. So he, he appeared there for a brief time, but he couldn't stay long because he had a burning desire to be in Jerusalem. Most believe that it was to celebrate the feast of the Passover. And he just was determined that that's where he was going to be. But he made this commitment to the saints in Ephesus, to the, to the group of people that were there. He said, listen, I can't stay long. I'm leaving. I must go to Jerusalem for this feast, but I promise you that I'm coming back if God will allow me to. I mean, that's essentially... What he says there in Acts 18, eventually he did return, according to Acts 19 and verse number one, and he would spend, now get this, he would spend three years in the city of Ephesus. For those of you that are perhaps know of the ministry of the Apostle Paul or you're keeping track, three years is longer than he would spend in any other one place. So there is no doubt that there is a very unique relationship or an intimate relationship between Paul and the believers in this particular congregation. I want you to hold your place in Ephesians chapter number five, and I want you to see Paul's final farewell to the believers in Ephesus in Acts chapter number 20. Would you turn there? Acts chapter number 20. And once again, Paul is traveling. He's heading back to Jerusalem. Uh, he, is, uh, he is on his way back to Jerusalem, and he is traveling through the vicinity of Ephesus, but for the sake of time, he will not have time to get all the way to Ephesus itself. And so what he does is he must have sent some messengers on up ahead saying, I'm coming through the area and I'd like to meet with you, and I'd like to spend a little bit of time with you if you can get to me. I do not have time to get to you, but if you can get to me, we can meet in a specific spot. And Acts chapter number 20 reveals Paul's last words to the believers in this particular city of Ephesus. And notice what he says in verse number, 30, in verse number 30, 35, as he bids farewell, he says, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring ye ought to support the weak, and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now notice verse 36. And when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. And they all wept sore and fell on Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spake, that they should see his face no more. And they accompanied him unto the ship. I don't know about you, but as I read this scene, I find that it's a highly emotional one. I find that, uh, that, that there is, there's great love between Paul and the saints and the believers in Ephesus. And that as he comes to the end of this particular time together, there is, there is weeping, there is prayer, uh, there, is, there is embracing before that final goodbye. But you know, frankly, Paul had special relationships, unique relationships, really with all the churches that he ministered and labored in. God gave Paul a unique calling, certainly, a, a unique ministry as a traveling or itinerant evangelist and church planner. 
Paul loved the churches, whether they were in Ephesus or whether they were in Corinth or Thessalonica or Philippi or Colossae or Galatia. The list could go on and on and on. Paul had affinity for each one and no doubt special memories that connected him with each church. I must tell you that while I can appreciate what other churches are doing, and I'm grateful for this fellowship even that we can enjoy with them as we have opportunity. I want you to know tonight, church family, I love my church. I love my church. I'd rather, I'll just be very frank with you, I'd rather be here than anywhere else. And I just want to, as we're getting started tonight, I want to just share with you some things I love about my church. These are not, not necessarily, uh, we're not going to find scripture and verse on these things. Uh, but but, I, but I, I, just, I just feel these things. I feel led of the Lord to share them with you. Now, in a moment, we're going to go back to Ephesians 5, and we're going to share some things there from the text that we think will be helpful to our church family. But I want to say, number one, so I think about uh, my church. I want to say, number one, I love the people of Cleveland Baptist Church. I love the people of Cleveland Baptist Church. You know, there is a temptation, I suppose, that exists in many people's mind when they think of, of a specific church and they think of maybe a church that has maybe had a, had a great history or a long history, that there are times in which people are tempted to sort of think of the pastor or maybe some other legacy figure that's associated with that specific church and its history. Can I, can I say this, that a church's greatness is not found in its, in its senior pastor. A church's greatness, I believe, is found in the people who serve faithfully behind the scenes. I believe that with all of my heart. As I look over the history of the Cleveland Baptist Church, obviously we think of our founding pastor and many, many people in local church circles that would have a Baptist background or perhaps are in Baptist churches today, many of them would be familiar with his name, but many of them would not be familiar with the names of some of the people that are scattered throughout the building tonight. People that have served here faithfully for many, many years. People that have given themselves to this church, uh, literally with their physical labor, but also, uh, but also with their financial giving and have sacrificed for the Lord's work. I actually want to honor someone here tonight in our, in our service, and it's going to require me to come down off of the platform tonight. But this past Wednesday, March the 2nd, Mrs. Lois Mosier finished... 55 years, now think about that for a moment, 55 years of teaching four-year-olds at Cleveland Baptist Church. If you're, keeping, if you're keeping track, that means she taught me when I was in the four-year-olds class. Now, that's a long time to serve, and um, I wanted to just honor her tonight because I think in some respects, she is, she's what this church is what makes this church great. Uh, people that serve faithfully, my wife has some flowers for her. We love you. <laughs> if you could have seen the look she just gave me, it wasn't. We talked to your son, and we found your favorite restaurant in town, and we found some flowers. He said, when, he said, when we get her flowers, we all get her pink, and you're wearing a pink sweater tonight. So what a, with pink flowers on your dress. That worked out really well. Let's give her one more round of applause if we would. As I think about Mrs. Mosier, I, I think of other people that have served faithfully here at this church, people that have played instruments for 40, 45, 50 years, people that have sung in the choir for that length of time, people that have served in the nursery and have led faithfully in, in, these, in these realms. 
And I just want you to know something, church family. This is what makes a church, a church great. It's people that just determine, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to dig my heels in here. I know there's going to be offenses. I know there's going to be things that I don't always agree with. And so long as they're not doctrinal things, then I think I can stay and I can support and do what God's called me to do. And I'm going to find a ministry, and I'm going to give myself to that ministry. And I'm just here to tell you, if the Cleveland Baptist Church is great tonight, it's not because of its pastor. It's because of the faithful people that serve here week in and week out. I love the people of Cleveland Baptist Church. But I want to say, secondly, I love preaching at Cleveland Baptist Church. You know, every, every so often I'm asked to preach in other churches. It doesn't happen a lot, but every so often I am. And I'm always humbled to be asked, but I just want you to know something, church family. There's no place, there's no place I'd rather be than right here. As I was coming to church tonight, I was thinking about my dad. My dad's preaching in Massillon this evening at the Anchor Baptist Church there in Massillon. And almost felt sorry for him, to be, to be very frank. That has nothing to do with that church. I, I believe that's a great church, and I love its pastor. They've gone with us to camp and that sort of thing. But I'm just sitting here saying, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else but here tonight. Of course, this is where God has called me. This is what God has called me to do. But I just want you to know something. I, I love standing behind this pulpit and preaching God's word to you. It is, a, it is a thrill of my life. There's nothing, there's nothing like Sunday at Cleveland Baptist Church as far as I'm concerned. And most Sundays I go home exhausted after a long day of ministry, but I want you to know something. I go home eternally grateful for the privilege I have of standing behind this pulpit and preaching God's word. I have to tell you, even to this day, I've been on staff here now for 21 years. I've been pastor now just a little under three years, and there are still some days that I go home and I sort of have to pinch myself and think to myself, did I really get to do that today those people sat there and they listened to me i can't even believe it i love preaching at cleveland baptist church number three i'd say this i love serving at cleveland baptist church i love serving with you precious folks here at this church you know whether it's putting scriptures together whether it's knocking on doors whether it's canvassing maybe mopping floors after a banquet collecting food for needy people visiting folks in the hospital or nursing home or counseling i love to serve the lord in this place obviously there are there are some tasks that are more difficult than others but so long as I'm serving our people and I'm serving with our people, I just want you to know something. I love it, and I am blessed, and I'm grateful for the opportunity. Can I say, number four, I love dreaming about the future of Cleveland Baptist Church. I really do. I love to dream about the future of our church. Now, obviously, this is sort of bittersweet in some respects. Because you know as well as I do that the further into the future we go, it means, it means at some point, obviously, all of us are going to pass to the other side at some point. And it might mean that we have to say, say goodbye to some very precious people. I don't know about you, but I'd be content if I never had to do another funeral, funeral again. I'd be content if the trumpet were to sound and we'd all go together. I think that would be glorious and wonderful. But if the Lord tarries his coming, I believe that the future of the Cleveland Baptist Church is a bright future. Uh, here's, here's, why, here's why I believe that. I believe that because I am, I am eager for my generation to step up and to lead. I think many would agree that in, the, in, in, in past generations, there's sort of been a mentality, uh, and it may come out of wartime environments, and certainly it's been influenced by the way that people were raised and the culture that they grew up in, but there has been, a, there has been sort of a mindset that says this, you tell me what to do, and I'll do it. And I'm thankful for people that have that mindset and that spirit. And I, will have, to, I have to tell you that probably more, more, than, more than likely this church was built on the backs of people that had that type of mindset and that type of spirit. 
But I, but I also want you to know that at some point in, in ministry and in spiritual work, that particular mindset begins to break down. You see, you see it's, not, it's not, well, the pastor told me to do it, therefore we have to do it. No, no, the scriptures indicate that you search this book and you find out whether the things are true or not, and then based upon what you find here, then you do it. And if you and I can get to a point where we're no longer saddled by, well, the pastor said this, or the Sunday school teacher said this, or the deacon said this, or the visiting evangelist says it, but you get into this book yourself and you figure out what does this book have to say. And at that, at that point, I believe that that, that leads and, and even builds a stronger church. There's a reason why Paul said about the believers in Berea that they were more noble than those that were in Thessalonica. And here's what, here's what he said. He said, because they searched the scriptures to see whether the things that they were taught were so or not. And here's what I find about my generation, the generations that are coming behind me. They're no longer satisfied with, well, you told me so, so I guess that's what we'll do. No, no, they, they, want, they want chapter and verse. And we might, we might grow a little frustrated with that from time to time. But listen, the, the bottom line is if, if there's not chapter and verse, if there's not scripture that reveals what is supposed to be done and why it's supposed to be done, then don't you suppose that maybe God gives us a little bit of opportunity to exercise some Christian liberty in some things? And yet, and yet, if you can show my generation and the generations that are coming behind me, here's what the Bible says, here's why the Bible says it, here's what the Bible instructs us to do, those people, they get a hold of that, they say, listen, I'm doing this not because brother so-and-so wants me to, not because the pastor has beat me into submission, not because anybody's tied my arms behind my back or manipulated me in any way, no, no, I'm doing these things because I've discovered them to be true in God's word. That makes, to me, that makes for a stronger church. It makes for a church that is more Bible-based should the Lord tarry and we continue another 20 to 25 years here on this earth. I see us as a church still reaching people. I see us still growing, still praising, still giving, still sending out missionaries, still planting churches, still doing all the things that we've done all of these years. But listen, listen, in, in addition to continuing to do these things, doing these things from a foundation, not to please men or for the sake of pride, but rather to please Christ and be faithful to his word and what he has commissioned us to do. So I love, I love dreaming about the future of Cleveland Baptist Church. I want to say, number five tonight, I love giving to the Cleveland Baptist Church. Now, this may sound a little weird, but it is absolutely true. Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse number 21, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, what he's saying there, he's saying, he's saying what you spend your money on is a pretty good indicator of what you love. So because I love my church, I love the people of my church, and I love preaching here in this place, and I love serving in this place, and, and, and I love dreaming about the future. Listen, all of the things that we've talked about, listen, all of those things require finances to get done. If we're going to have a future, it's because people continue to give faithfully and sacrifice the Lord's work. If we're going to serve, if we're going to go out into the community, it's because people have sacrificed to put fuel in buses, which, by the way, is getting more and more expensive by each and every passing day. 
If we're going to continue to serve, it's because people give so that, so that we can purchase gospel tracts and literature and we can uh, mail to, to direct uh, mail campaigns and, and we can employ some people who can sit down at a computer and can de- design something that looks professional and looks appealing and yet presents the gospel when people receive it in their homes. Listen, li- listen, if we're going to continue doing these things, if we're going to do what we've always done, it is going to require people giving, people sacrificing to the Lord's work. And because I love my church, listen, I don't hesitate to give. In fact, I love giving to my church. In reality, listen, this is what the word of God instructed. It's, it's how it's supposed to be. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9, 7, every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Can I say that I believe apart from family obligations and family responsibilities, we should have a heart to give to our church more than just about any other obligation that we feel compelled to give to, whether it's the political party or the political candidate or some charitable organization that we might support and that we might give to. You know, I I don't know what others give around here, but I know this. I know our folks are faithful to give. Here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have a church business meeting, and we're going to share with you sort of where we are after last year. And I I just have to tell you that you folks sacrificed and you gave, uh, and and it was one of the one of the greatest greatest years ever in the history of our church in the realm of giving. See what happens when God's people come together, and when we just do our part and we do what we're supposed to do. God blesses it in abundant ways. Now I'm asking tonight, if you love your church, to give once more above tithes and offerings to help us continue in areas that we have been strong in and then at the same time to strengthen areas of weakness. In your bulletin today is this particular handout and looks just like this. And on the back of it, you'll find that once again, we have a goal as a church over the next several months to try to raise $100,000. And I want to just briefly touch on the the various things that will be, uh, goals that will be met as God's people give faithfully and the money comes in, we'll be able to accomplish these particular goals. The first one that we're encouraging folks to give towards is this new sound system in the sanctuary. You may remember that we gave last year to this particular project. And, uh, and we raised $50,000 last year. And as we begun to do the pricing and look at the various elements of what new sound costs in a room this size and with the technology and all those sorts of things, you will find that a new sound system is going to cost us well over $100,000. Well, we've already raised 50, so we're, we're on our way. And, um, and I want you to just look above me here. These speakers that were hung in this, uh, in this building, they were hung in the mid-1990s. Now you think about all the things that your car can do today that it could not do in the 1990s. You think about all the things that your computer can do today that it could not do in the 1990s. Your television, your your smartphone. You say, we didn't even have smartphones in the 1990s. Well, you get the idea. That's exactly right. Obviously, technology has continued to grow and to expand, and uh, we're able to do so much more. And, and, uh, and, and I, I listed some scripture here in this particular idea. Here's what the Bible says. And how shall they believe in him of who they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, Pastor Pete, we're sitting in the sanctuary tonight, and sounds like the sound system is still functioning. And that is true. Overall, it is still functioning. But I want you to know that it is in a state of decline. And because of the 
praise of God's people and the preaching of God's word being the prime responsibility of the local church, we believe, listen, we believe it is vital, it is vital that these things be heard clearly. And I'm given to understand that, that from our, our, our sound engineers, the different people that have worked with us on these sorts of things, that at the age of this sound system, it could go at any moment. And if it were to go because of the supply chain issues that we're dealing with, it would take us many, many weeks in order to get a new sound system here and to get it installed. And that entire time we would be dealing with, with things, obviously, in which we'd maybe have to rent equipment and we'd have to deal with all of those things. So here's what we've done. Because we're debt-free, we were able to really borrow money from ourselves in order to begin financing these projects already. So these projects are already in the works. In fact, orders have already been placed, to my knowledge. And uh, I would think here in the next several months, we will have a new sound system in here. And these other projects we're going to outline here in just a moment, we'll begin working on these things as well. And so what we're asking the church family to do is to give so that we can replenish those accounts from which we borrowed from ourselves, obviously at no interest whatsoever. And because, again, you have given over the years, we're able to be debt-free so that we can do these kinds of projects, kind of look ahead a little bit, borrow from ourselves, and obviously replenish what we have taken. So again, I'm, I'm asking you to give towards this project for the purpose that future generations and future people can sit in this sanctuary and can hear the message and can hear the beautiful music uh, without, without any interruption, without any issues whatsoever. The second project that the I Love My Church offering is going to is the campus-wide network upgrade. Our current network infrastructure is the result of talented men who have donated most of their time and much of the equipment and the material to our church as well. People who found out, well, their, their company is upgrading in this area and we got a bunch of wires over here that we could put in and we've got a server or two that we could install and put in over here. But you understand that much of what we have here has been piecemealed together. And it is not at all in line with a campus this size. And because, listen, we live in a digital age, this is a vital yet often unseen part of what is done here from day to day. You say, well, what exactly does the network do? What, what exactly, uh, what, what's the importance of this? The network here at our church stores all of our membership files. It stores all of our security footage, cameras that are running here on this property 24 hours a day, seven days a week. It stores all of our school files, our historical documents related to our church's history, giving records as folks give, all of those things and even more are stored on our church's network. Therefore, if our network were to fail, if it were to fail, it would have long-reaching, devastating effects on our ministry and its records. And so again, you're giving will enable us to move forward in completely upgrading our church's network to meet the demands, again, of an ever-growing and ever-moving-forward church. The last project that is identified in this $100,000 goal is access control. And, of course, we won't say much about this, but you know that security and safety should be of utmost importance to a church and to a school. Every individual enters these buildings daily. Those people are precious and, and they're, they're our, it's our God-given responsibility to protect them to the best of our ability. The modern technology obviously has advanced rapidly, as we've already discussed tonight, enabling us by proceeding in this project to do a better job of maintaining control of who has access to the buildings uh, here throughout the day and even into the night. So once again, your giving will allow us to operate in both the church and the school more securely. So these are some of the reasons why I love my church. I, I, hope, I hope if I were to ask you, if I were to talk to you tonight, that maybe you could form a similar list. 
Some of you may say, I love teaching Sunday school at the Cleveland Baptist Church. I love working a bus route at the Cleveland Baptist Church. I love singing in the choir at the Cleveland Baptist Church or playing my instrument at the Cleveland Baptist Church. I suppose any number of us could, could think of different things that we love to do and love to be a part of as it relates to our church. And I want to invite you to go back to Ephesians chapter number five. And with the time that we have left tonight, I want to, I want to reveal some reasons why we should love our church. I've, I've talked about what it is that I love about my church, but let me share you some, some reasons from this particular text why you should love your church. Number one, we learn in this text, I love my church because Christ is our head. I love my church because Christ is our, te- is our head. Would you look in verse number 23? The Bible says, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Because he is the head, listen, we have an obligation to be subject to him in everything. Look what it says in verse number 24. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. More than likely, Christ is not the head at your office. When you go into work tomorrow, more than likely you probably are not working for a Christian organization, a Christian company where Christ is the head of that organization, where Christ is the head of that company. I'm, I'm guessing if you're attending a college here in this area, a university or college in this area, more than likely Christ is not the head of the college that you're attending or of the university that's giving you training. I'm, I'm gonna go out on a limb here and I'm gonna, I'm gonna guess that probably more than likely Christ is not the head of the city hall in the city that you live in. The mayor thinks he's the head and the city council, they might think that they're the head and you know, the law director, he might think he's the head and, you know, and, and the secretaries behind the scenes, they think without us, this place wouldn't run, we're the head and, and, and there's a million people vying for control, vying for leadership in a place like that. But I'm gonna venture to say that Christ is not the head of the city hall and I, and I think all of us would agree Christ is not the head of the White House tonight. Christ is not the head of the federal government here in the United States of America. But listen, listen, he absolutely should be the head in your home. And without question, he, he needs to be the head here in the church house. I love my church because Christ is the head. I want you to know something. The pastor is not the head of the Cleveland Baptist Church. The pastor is not in charge of the Cleveland Baptist Church. The deacons don't run the Cleveland Baptist Church. No, Christ Jesus is our head, and we are to be subject to him in everything. What does Christ tell us in his word? That is our foundation. That is what we are to live, and that's what we're to believe, and that's how we're to operate. Not what does the pastor say? What do the deacons say? What does the, uh, the, the person that's been around here long enough say? No, no, what does Christ say? I love my church because Christ is the head. Number two, I love my church because Christ loves it. Look in verse, again, verse number 25. We read this in the beginning. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, when you love someone, you often develop a love for what they love. Christ loved me first, according to Scripture. The Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ loved us. That, that he, loved, he loved us first and foremost. We didn't love him, he loved us. But now, now that I do love him, now that I've entered into a relationship with him, I should have a passion and a, and a heartbeat for what he is passionate for. 
The scripture tells us that he loved the church to the extent that he gave himself for it. Do you love the church enough to give yourself to it? Christ gave himself for it. Can we as God's people, can we at least give ourselves to the work that is going on here in this place? You know, it's easy to be critical. It's easy to be nitpicky towards your church. But I want to, I want to encourage you and I want to remind you just how much, just how much Christ loves the thing that you're not satisfied with. Now think about that for a moment. Christ loved this church so much that he gave himself for it. Sometimes we, because we've been around for a little while or because someone's offended us or someone has kind of annoyed us or whatever the case might be, we begin to develop a nasty, negative, bitter spirit towards the church and we see everything through that particular lens. And before long, listen, before long, we are hating. We are hating on something. We're hating on something that Christ loved to the extent that he was willing to give himself for. Be careful about that. Be careful about that. If you can't, if you can't, I'm not speaking to anybody in particular, but if you can't stay here and love this place, then you need to go find a place that you can love. Because Christ Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying there's never a time and a place to deal with issues. It doesn't mean that, well, you know, well, we're supposed to love the church, therefore I can't say a single word about anything. I'm not saying that at all, and I, I think you know that. But I do believe that there, there are times in which all of us can develop an overly critical spirit towards the church that Christ loves and gave himself for. So the next time you open up your mouth to begin to criticize the church, or to criticize someone in the church, by the way, the church isn't this building, the church is the body of people, therefore when I'm criticizing someone, I'm criticizing the body of Christ. Before you, before you go down that path, remind yourself, now hold on a minute, Christ loves this person. Christ loves this body. This is his body. Christ gave himself for it. Therefore, I better be very, very careful how critical and how caustic and how much of an attitude sometimes that I can have, that I can have towards something that Christ loves so much. Do you love Jesus? Then you ought to love what he loves. I love my church because Christ loves it. Number three, I love my church because of the work Christ is doing in this place. Would you look in verses 26 and 27? That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. The work Christ does in his church is a purifying work. He is, listen, here's what he's doing in our lives. He is sanctifying us. He is cleansing us, and here's what he's using. He's using the water, the pure water of his word with the goal someday of ultimately revealing us to himself to be glorious without spot, without wrinkle, without any blemish. Likely you've seen some people in the church that maybe, maybe aren't as clean as you are. And when I say that, I don't mean of a physical cleansing, but I mean in a spiritual sense. Maybe they're quite a few years behind you in their Christian walk, and it shows there's evidence to that. Uh, you can see it. It's obvious that, man, this, this person, they've got a long way to grow. Listen, instead of, instead of, again, bemoaning that, instead of complaining about that, instead of getting frustrated, rejoice. 
Rejoice. I, I said this morning we honored uh, Brother uh, Jonah Moore. 90 years old today is his birthday. And he was here, had a bunch of family members with him. It was just a really sweet time to see Brother Jonah. But you know what I said? I, I said that a, that a church, a healthy church, has 90-year-olds and it has 18-year-olds. And everything in between. And eight-year-olds and eight-month-olds. That's what a healthy church looks like. And as you look around here tonight, there's a healthy balance of young people and older people and middle-aged people and, and all of those sorts of things. But can I tell you, a healthy church not only has that as far as physical age is concerned, but a healthy church ought to have, ought to have people that are coming into it and they're just getting started in their Christian walk. Therefore, there's some rust. Maybe there's some, some, some uh, rough edges, I suppose, that need, to be, that need to be fashioned by God. And by the way, it's not going to be fashioned by your hand. And it's not going to be fashioned by my hand. God does this work in the church. And I'm thankful. I am thankful. I love, I love the church because of the work that Christ is doing in this place. It is a purifying work. And here's what I'd say. Be patient with others. Be patient with others. Sometimes it's, it's easy to get frustrated, isn't it? Man, that guy, that gal, she's been around here long enough. They should know better. Be patient with them. Maybe that maybe that God hasn't specifically gotten to that particular area just yet. You keep praying for them, and you keep being an example to them. Don't be critical of them, and don't uh, don't don't beat them over the head with something. Allow the listen. Allow the water of the Word of God to clean up people's lives. This is what He does in this place. And every time we gather, every time we gather, this book is opened. And do you understand that any time this book is open, there is an opportunity for an eternal work to be done in the hearts and lives of people. Therefore, when we gather, oh, we're doing serious business in this place. God, I should say it this way, God is doing serious business. He is doing a great work in this place. Number four, and we'll finish, we'll finish with this tonight. I love my church because we are the body of Christ. Look in verse number 30. He says, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. What are bodies for? It's an interesting question, isn't it? From what I can tell, bodies are for living, aren't they? Bodies are for living. That's what the body's for. And when you, when you cease to live, what do we do? We put our bodies in a, what we call a casket. And we go to a cemetery, and we bury the body underneath the ground. At least for that period of time, that body is going to be resurrected someday because of what Christ did. But for that period of time, the body is not necessary. Why? Because we're no longer living here on this earth. So bodies are for living. Therefore, therefore, they do certain things. Bodies walk. They talk. They see. They hold. They touch. They help. They listen, uh, and, 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 a, and a myriad of other things probably we could discuss tonight about what a body does. Bodies are for living. I say this, while Christ's physical body is in heaven, he has chosen, listen, he has chosen mysteriously. This is what Paul says, it's, it's a mystery. The, the, the relationship between husband and wife and what, what God does when two people get married and they commit their lives to one another. That's a mystery and how they, that, that oneness occurs and how that happens. That's a mystery in of itself. But this is a mystery as well. Is that, is that, the, is that, is that Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ would, would allow, would somehow form and fashion a body here on this earth known as the local church. 
He designed that we be his eyes, full of compassion. That we be his feet, swift to respond to the needy. That we be his hands, strong to hold and to help. That we be his ears, tuned to the cries of the lost. And that we be his heart, eager, eager to know and to do his Father's will. I love my church because you're the body of Christ. I'm, I'm part of this group. We're the body of Christ. Well, what, what is his body for here on this earth? His body is for living. So let's, let's live. Let's be full of life. Let's do, let's walk, let's talk, let's see, let's hold and touch and help and listen. Let's do these things on behalf of Jesus here on this earth because that's what we've been called to do. I'm sure there's not a person here tonight who doesn't have a complaint about something here at the church. It's too hot. It's too cold. Service is too long. It's too short. They're too strict. They're not strict enough. I mean, you understand, right? I mean, in a, in, a, in a room this size with this many people, everybody has an opinion about everything. No question about it. Here's what I want to say. Let's thank God for our church. Let's, let's take our mind off of the negatives. I, I, again, all, all of us probably have something. And by the way, we learned this morning you're not supposed to complain, so just drop it, right? But let's, let's, be, let's be the church. Let's be Christ's body. And let's, let's thank God for what he's given us here. Let's rejoice in this oasis that we have been blessed with. And let's recommit ourselves, not just in the area of giving, but in the area of serving, in the area of praying, in the area of faithfulness, in the area of living out what we find in this book. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment. I want you to know something, church. I love you. I love my church. I'm thankful. And I just want you to know something. As a family, our family is going to give to these projects. And we're going we're to give to the best of our ability. We're going to pray and ask the Lord what he'd have us to do. But I want you to know something. I'm not asking you to do something that I'm not willing to do. And I'm not asking you to love something that I'm not already loving myself. More importantly, I'm not asking you to love something that Christ doesn't love. If I were to stand in front of you here tonight and I were to ask you to love something that Christ doesn't love, you would rightfully, you'd run me out of here. But we see very clearly, don't we, in Scripture, that Christ loved the church and that he gave himself for it. Therefore, therefore, we ought to be begging and pleading with God tonight, Lord, would you grow my love for the church? There may be someone here tonight that needs to be saved. This has not necessarily been a salvation message. The message has been preached to the church family. And so you may be here tonight and you may be lost and you need to be saved. I just want you to know something. We'd love to take a copy of the Bible, the Word of God, and show you from the Scriptures how you can be born again. No better decision, no greater decision can you make in your life than to repent of your sin and to place your faith and your trust in God's only Son, Jesus, who died for you that you might have eternal life. And so that may be you tonight. You may need to be saved tonight. But there may be just some of you that just need to come what we're, what we're going to ask, as far as this, uh, this particular project is concerned, is we're going to ask that you take some time to pray about it. Lord, what would you have our family to do? How would you have our family to give? In two weeks from today, Sunday, March the 20th, we're going to ask you to do one of, one of three things. 
Number one, some of you may just wish to give a one-time gift. I'm gonna ask you to be as generous as you can and to give a one-time gift towards these projects that are listed here. And may we come together, may everyone in the church be unified and say, you know, I wanna be a part of this. I wanna give. Some of you, some of you may, may wish to, to give a gift, but, but you don't have it all available right now. And you, you can see I'm, I'm gonna be earning this or this is coming to me, but I'm not, I'm not able to give it all on Sunday, March the 20th. And so what we're gonna ask you to do is do one of two things on that day, is to maybe give a, a, a small portion of that and then fill out a card with the remainder. By God's help, by God's help, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give towards this project this much money. Those of you that would give a one-time gift that day, we're gonna ask that you not fill out a card. You've already given towards the project. But those of you that, uh, that maybe aren't able to give anything that day or maybe you're able to just give a small portion that day, we're gonna ask that you take a card and fill out the remainder of what you're going to give. And by God's help, by God's grace, by mid-October, we're hoping as a church to be able to meet this goal that we've set. And I, I listen, I, I understand we're living in uncertain times, but we were living in uncertain times two years ago, 2020, and we presented a $100,000 need, and this church came through, and God did an amazing work. It grew my faith, and I just happened to believe that if God can do that while COVID was raging and while we weren't sure whether we were going to have our jobs long-term and what was going to happen, I believe, I believe that God can do a work this year as well.